0: Welcome. My name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Church in Riverdale, and I am so glad to be here with you guys today. Um, You know, when you come to church, I'm sure that the last thing that you want to hear about is what's going on in the news or what's going on uh, with politics or uh, this is like your escape, right? Like you want to come and you just, you want to hear about the Lord and you want to You know hear about good things and happy things and you just want to escape from the chaos that's going on in the world Um, well I want to as well but there is an elephant in the room that we don't address often sometimes in our churches and I think that it is the chaos of the last year and a half and I know you probably cringe when people say that like oh the last year and a half, it's just been so crazy, right? I, you know, and it starts to become like this kind of like an excuse for some of us, right? Like when, when things have fallen apart over the last year and a half or so, uh, people use that over and over again, right? I'm sick of hearing it, and I keep saying it. I keep saying it when people ask me, why this, why that? Well, the last year and a half, right? But the reality is, is that it has been painful, right? And not just the last year and a half, but I mean, pretty much all of our lives, every human being um, experiences trial and suffering and pain. But the reality is with the last year and a half, you know, we do have people on both sides of the spectrum. As I prayed about, there are people that are high risk and, and they've gotten sick and even family members have passed away and died, right? And we need to have compassion about that. But then yet on the other side of the whole thing, we've got people who uh, feel like their rights are being taken away, right? We've got people who have been working a job for a long period of time, and they're going to have to make some hard decision because of uh, the things that are going on, right? And so I am bring that all up just to say that we have to learn as a church to be compassionate towards one another, no matter what our, our views are. All of us have one thing in common at least and it's pain and it's struggle and it's trials it's, it's the famines and storms of life okay all of us go through those if you weren't if, if, if you weren't then you might not be human because that is what we get in this life and we kinda need to come to this place of acceptance and so sometimes God might not spare you from those hard times but he is going to provide, and He will see you through. I want to encourage you that today's message will hopefully help us to get there. As we look at this story, we've been in this series called In Case You Missed It, and we're looking at Old Testament stories, and maybe you've heard of them, but you might have missed some things in it. And so today we're looking at a story in 1 Kings chapter 17 about a man named Elijah and his interaction with a widow. And some of these things that I've talked about, we're going to hear in this story, God's provision through tough times. And this man, Elijah, he was a holy, awesome prophet of God. He was God's man. He He was loved by God, right? And this man, you would think, because he's favored by God, that he wouldn't have to go through Struggle and trial. This is a man who, at the end of his life, he didn't actually die. He actually was taken up to heaven. Like, that's what the Bible says about this man. This is how favored by God he was. But yet, the question is is he going to have to go through trouble and pain and trial? Well, the, the setting of this man's life is that he is a prophet in a time where the nation of Israel is at its worst. Um, The king uh, named Ahab, he was one of the most evil kings that had ever existed. Him and his wife Jezebel, they tried to institute this religion that was the worship of a false god named Baal, and Baal was supposed to be in the the pagan religion. He was supposed to be the god of rain and the god of fertility, of, of life and growth, and, and, and what we're going to see in this story is that God comes up against the belief of these other gods, of this other god named Baal, and he uses Elijah as like his, his fight promoter, you know, like a, a boxing promoter. He, he, get, he sets up these situations in where God gets to come through and show up, right? But the question is, what's Elijah going to have to go through while he is a man of God trying to Bring about the word of God, right? And so what God says is that there's going to be a famine in the land. There's going to be a drought. And, and so the first point I want you to understand is sometimes God lets us go through lean times, through famines, through droughts, through storms. But he always has a purpose. Let's get right into the first verse. Now, Elijah, who is from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, There will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Okay, this is the prophet Elijah going to tell the king the truth. And this is part of the reason why the king Ahab hates Elijah, because every time a prophet like him or Elijah comes up to speak, he doesn't tell him the things he wants to hear. He tells them the truth, right? And that's, as we've talked about, the prophet of God is the man who says, thus saith the Lord. I can't speak anything other than what the Lord tells me. And what the Lord is telling me is that because of your evil and because you've led my whole nation astray, there is going to be some tough times. There's gonna be a famine. There's gonna be a drought. Now, in Utah, we've been going through somewhat of a drought over the past couple of years, but this does not compare to what's going on in the nation of Israel what's going on at this time is is the food is scarce even because there's no rain right this is a judgment of God on his people and so another way of looking at him sending a drought is it's a judgment of God right if you look back at uh, Genesis chapter 6 when God you know the famous story of the ark right the Noah and the ark well You know, the kids, I actually went and visited all the kids in kids' church last week, and they were talking about that story. And it's such a a fun little story with the rainbow and the animals poking out of the ship, right? And it's like, you know, good feeling story. But what we sometimes miss in that story is that God was judging the entire world, and he flooded the whole earth to kill everyone. Now, that's extreme, Right? but God flooded the whole earth to kill everyone except for his chosen man and some other people that could go on to populate the rest of the earth that were a part of his family, Noah. I think as Christians, sometimes we struggle with the Old Testament. Uh, We're like, you know, the Old Testament's hard to understand. It's kind of scary. You know, that God seems like full of wrath. And so I'm going to stick to the New Testament, right? But but we can't do that, because the whole Bible is the Word of God, and we have to, if we're going to know about the character of God and who God is, we have to understand the entirety of the Word of God, right? And, and oftentimes, we find so much about God in the Old Testament that He, he is a, a God of wrath sometimes, and He judges the world, and, and so He causes things to happen, and as I said before, and as I'll always say, that God is sovereign. We think these things that are happening out there in the world are like just random chance, as if God is this giant watchmaker who wound it up, and then he sat back and said, "Okay, let's see how they all pan out. Let's see how this thing works, right?" But I want to take you to uh, another prophet in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, and let's see what he says about who. He is and how powerful He really is. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me, and I am the Lord, there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Now that's a a little bit, it might be challenging you right now. You're like, whoa. It says he creates calamity. What is calamity? It's, you know, it's hard times. It's trials. It's, It's even plagues. It's earthquakes. It's things that happen that stir up chaos. Although God is not a God of chaos, he does create things in a way to judge his people, to discipline them even. Now I can't say that everything bad that happens on the earth is because God is judging or trying to discipline a certain group of people. I cannot say that for certain. But what i can say is is that everything that does happen all of the pain and and even the things that are naturally evil you know natural evil is kind of like the brokenness of the world where there are uh, uh you know sicknesses and 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 death and and hurricanes and you know natural disasters stuff like that what i can say even with with covid Is that, and even evil rulers, even people who seem to be, you know, ruining uh, the world with how they lead the world, God is in control of it. God is not surprised by it. He never wakes up and is like, oh my gosh, and he starts wringing his hands in stress, and he's like, I don't know what these guys are going to do. No, God has always known that everything, all of this was going to happen. Again, this is going to challenge your faith. This is what I call, or some people call, big God Theology. God is bigger than what we could even understand or fathom. He's in control of more than when we can even handle. But this should stretch you to to really search out God's word and find out who is this God really. And hopefully, it gives us uh, a sense of of peace. And knowing that, that God's in control, even in all the evil stuff that's going on in the world, God allows it and he's going to use it for his purposes. And so that's what we're going to find out in this story today. Although we've looked at it from a broad sense, we're going to look at it at a more personal ground level with Elijah and his interactions. So let's go, go into the rest of the story. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. So because of Ahab... You know uh, Elijah's um, on the the hideout right he's being hunted hunted by the government right like a lot of you guys probably think you know one day you know is the government gonna hunt me down right right some of you might feel that way that things might be going that way right or maybe you're uh, an end times guy or uh, you know you go think like trying to discern you know when's this whole mark of the beast thing gonna play out and you know I just want you to know if you're one of those type of people as well, I want you, you also to not live in fear and understand that even in a time of judgment, because that's what will happen when Jesus comes again and the end of the world comes, is that will be a time of God judging the world once and for all. But even in that time... Whether you're, you're, you're struggling with like, am I a pre-trib rapture type of a guy who gets to escape all this? Or am I a, a post-trib rapture person who I'm going to have to go through all this? Or am I one of those guys that thinks that we're already in this millennial kingdom at the end? Like whether, wherever you stand on that, I want you to understand that God will provide and take care of his people. He's doing that with, with Elijah right now. It's the craziest thing. He's on the hideout and he he and there's a famine and he goes and sends him by this place where there's a little bit of water and it dries up eventually but there's just enough to sustain him and he's got birds bringing him meat and bread and it must be from some place far off because the famine is so great that nobody's actually going and gathering food. He didn't tell them to go gather food, but birds have to fly and bring it to him. And it's a supernatural thing. Now, God has never supernaturally brought me things from a bird, okay? Maybe, you, maybe that's you. I don't know. But, but God has supernaturally provided for me, right? If you're a Christian here today and you've been one for a while, you can probably say the same thing, that God has provided For me, in times where I was stressed out, in times where uh, I didn't know what the future looked like, God came through, and that's what we're seeing with this story, with God and Elijah. But here's my next point: although God doesn't always provide for through birds with us, God usually does provide for us through other people. Let's go on to the next part of the scripture. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. So the story starts out with God is like, Uh, sent him into isolation and God is providing for him but now God is saying your isolation time is over now I want you to go make a relationship right now I want you to go be with people and I'm going to provide for you through this woman and so for some of us how does this apply well you know sometimes if we're in a struggle and a trial in our life maybe God is is at that point in your life where he's saying okay you're struggling and you're in isolation. Maybe you need to go make some relationships. Maybe I've already provided several people in your life to come into your life and to speak into your life. And I'm not just even talking about providentially or with finances. I'm talking about maybe you're struggling with something mentally or emotionally or spiritually and you're wondering why God isn't coming through, but yet you might be you know, so isolated that you haven't allowed anybody come into your life and to speak into it sometimes storms and trials might be just what we need to step out of our comfort zone of isolation and reach out to a divine appointment and that's exactly what's going on in this story god is providing a divine appointment that means when you meet someone It's like God put you together, and you can just sense it, and you feel it, right? Has anybody ever had those before? I have had those for sure in my life. It was like someone, like God was using a person as if they were an angel, and it was like, wow, you know? I know that God is speaking to me through you. And here's the cool thing about this, though. It isn't just a one-way thing for God to provide for his prophet now through a person but yet God uses the prophet to provide some needs for this person the widow as well and so it goes on and here's what the widow says she said I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal Then my son and I will die. But Elisha said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So at first, she's, she's ready to die. She's caught in this famine and the drought just like he is. And, and she's about to eat her last meal with her son. She's only got a little bit of food left. And here's the crazy thing. God is asking her to provide out of what little she has to take care of his prophet, And it just doesn't make logical sense, right? Like, uh, when, when I first started, you know, like feeling convicted to start being a giver, you know, a giver to the church. I was in a ton of debt, um, wasn't doing very well with money, barely getting by, and, but I knew that God deserved my first fruits. You know, there's this, this principle in the Bible in the Old Testament that God deserves uh, my first as top priority, not just in my finances, but with my time and my talent, with my service, right, with, with how I lead my family. God God deserves to be first priority in my life, but yet sometimes, you know, I look at my my finances and my schedule, and and it's like, I don't know that I can do all the things that God wants me to do, because I've got to get myself to a place of health. I've got to get myself. It's all about me, 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 right? Like, I've got the power to get myself to a place of stability. Then all maybe put God first, right? But instead, in my life, we decided to trust God and, and started putting Him first and all the things that I'd ever struggled with like started to, to to fall away, right? My struggle with addiction, my struggle with finances, and I'm not rich by any means, but I have never gone without food. I have never starved and went hungry for a long period of time. God has always had a roof over my head, whether He provided it through, through my parents, whether He provided it through... My wife, you know, my wife was the, the smart one when I married her. That was a divine appointment, by the way. You know, like I, I was like, you know, immature at the time and like wasn't sure how I was going to get out of my parents' house. And like she already had a house. She had a mortgage. And it was like, this is from the Lord. <laughs> and So I moved. We got married. I moved in. And, you know, and, and, and we lived happily ever after. It was a great providence of God. Um, but putting him first has, has really been a challenge of faith in my life, and I know that you guys all probably have struggled with that, but sometimes it takes us, like this woman, to get to rock bottom to change our priorities or to the bottom of the flower jug, right? Sometimes for us, it takes, takes us to be desperate to finally step out in faith, to finally put God first. Otherwise, he'll be down the totem pole of, you know, second or fourth or seventeenth in our lives, instead of putting him first. But he challenges this woman to put him first, and she does that. She does that, and God provides miraculously. The flour jug and the oil never run out, and the prophet, her and her son, are provided for. But here's the problem with humans, as we get complacent. We start to feel entitled, and, and so when God provides, uh, sometimes we take it for granted. And so the more and more we experience God's provision, the more entitled we can become and we're going to see that that's exactly what happens. Sometime later the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse and finally died. Then she said to Elijah, "Oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son?" Now her son died, okay? And and it's sad and her faith, as new as it is, you know, is wavering, and it's hard to blame her for, for questioning God, right? It's hard for, to blame her because of the pain that she's experiencing from her son dying. It's confusing. Maybe you can relate to this, right? You've seen God work through those times in your life where he was, he was just providing, right? Maybe it was in a sickness, maybe it was in a, a job change, maybe it was a, a, some kind of strength or peace or, or financial stability that you needed and, and you were getting by and you were counting the wins and God was doing these little miracles in your life. But then something bad happens. It still leads to a place of seeming, you know, bad and chaos, right? Where somebody does get sick and somebody does pass away and you look up to God and you're like, I don't get it. You were providing and then you just, how could you let this happen? But we have to remember that God is sovereign. As I said before, we don't know why he lets some of this stuff happen. If we could totally understand God, then he wouldn't be God. He's so much bigger than we are. But we saw in this story that the widow got to see God and experience God and believe in God and taste his goodness and see the provision. But yet when something happens, you know, after, you know, getting fat and happy and complacent, as we so often do as Christians. She acts as if God hadn't done anything for her at all. But you see, God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe the widow anything. He actually doesn't give us what we are owed, what we deserve. We deserve to be separated from God. We deserve the judgment of God. We deserve nothing but separation and evil. But yet, God doesn't give us those things, right? And even in all the calamities and the the struggles and the earthquakes and the deaths and the sicknesses, God is still withholding the ultimate judgment. God is still withholding what the world deserves. And He is holding back with mercy until all that have been appointed to believe in Him will believe in Him. Right? And the whole world gets to experience mercy, but He is not wrong. When things happen to people and he allows things to happen to people, it is not God's fault. He's not on the hook for the evil that we caused in the first place when we've turned from him. So we've got to resist being entitled children who complain, but rather we ought to come to him in humility, in in gratitude, understanding that he is the God who holds life and death in the palm of his hands. He does that which seems good to him. You see, it doesn't surprise God when bad things happen. God wants us to focus on him. He will provide for us. He's watching out for us. He's got a plan for our lives. As a matter of fact, Jesus in the New Testament says a shocking thing. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. You know what this is saying here? This is saying that God is so big that when a bird dies, it couldn't have happened unless he consented to it. Isn't that crazy? Right? Do we think of God as this big? That he knows the very hairs on all of your heads, and some have more than others. But he knows the the number of all of that. And I I was contemplating this the other day, like, how is it, God, that you are in control of so much, but yet you are still personal, like you still answer my prayers and talk to me and give me divine appointments and and provide for me and discipline me and bless me. How is it that he is so big that he can do that with all the other Christians around the world, be in relationship with them personally, all at the same time, and yet know when birds die? It's just crazy to me. And so when this widow's son dies... It's not a surprise, and so even though she's questioning and she's in pain, God's not surprised. And Elijah is going to handle it a little bit differently because it's okay to question God as long as it comes from a place of faith. And Elijah is a man of faith. And so we as Christians ought to see these tests and these trials as a training as a time to be able to say, what's God gonna do? What does God want me to learn, right? How is this gonna turn out? Remember, God is big, and so Elijah, he says, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God. Why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her to sin? Now even Elijah is is questioning God, right? He's like, God, why? Did you know Elijah's name actually means Yahweh is Lord? Yahweh is, is God's name from the Old Testament that he gave to his people. It's the I Am He's the I am, the great I am. And Elijah knows, even though he's questioning God, it's okay to question God. But we can't just stop with questions. We've got to believe that God can do something big, that God can do something amazing. All right? And so even when we lose a job, someone gets sick, or even God decides to take a little boy to heaven one day, we can't blame it on God. We've got to believe he's got a purpose. He's got a reason. For all of this, we've got to have faith that he's going to do something with it and about it. And so Elijah goes on and he prays and he stretched himself out over the the child three times and cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. He does that three times. And lastly, we see that each new challenge creates a new opportunity to see how God will provide. And here's what happens in the story. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. And then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Elijah has such an awesome job. He's, a, he's this prophet that, like I said, he's like the, the, the fight promoter for God in the next chapter as I talked about all that you can see kinda working out in this story is that God is making himself God and proving himself to be God over what the nation believes is God this this God named Baal who's supposed to be in control of the rain and control of life God is proving something in this story he's saying no I'm gonna shut up the heavens and there's gonna be no rain you can pray to this God all you want Baal." but there will be no rain because there is no other God. I am the Lord, your God, and I control everything, even the rain. This God means nothing. And even life. He has the power to control life and death through the death of the son and bringing him back to life. And then in the next chapter, Elijah sets up this fight between Baal and God. You know, the the prophets of Baal and And God and he sets up these two altars and the prophets of Baal start dancing and doing all these kind of crazy things to try to get the God to answer and after so long he's like are you guys done and then God comes down and consumes the entire altar by fire showing the people that there is no other God we we have to worship God Yahweh alone Yahweh is the Lord that again that is what Elijah's name means And by the way, this miracle that Elijah does, if we fast forward 800 years when Jesus is on earth, there are two times when Jesus does something similar. He revives a young man and brings him to his mother, kind of a lot like this story. And then there's the story of Lazarus, where Jesus raises him from the dead. And so a lot of people in Jesus' day were thinking, that Jesus had come in the power of Elijah. You'll see that over and over in the New Testament scriptures. Some of these people think that you're Elijah because in this story they would have known that Elijah somehow had had, uh, the power of God to be able to revive this boy, but it wasn't Elijah who revived the boy. It was just his prayer. It was God who revived the boy. It was God who resurrected the son. And so Jesus comes, fast forward 800 years later, to prove something about himself. And here's what he says to, to Martha when he's about to, to resurrect Lazarus. He says, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. You see, even in all the pain and the struggle and the trial that we deal with in the world even from our own sin, from the consequences of the choices that we've made. When we go after the idols out there because they seem, because of our insecurity in God, our lack of faith in God, our lack of theology, our lack of understanding of how big and in control God really is, we run off to other things that will bring us security, right? And we're guilty of that, and that's sin, And the wages of sin is death, like I said, but God proves that he is a compassionate God and he will not let us go through all this stuff without providing for us. And he does that in the person, ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. God coming down in the body of a man, Jesus Christ. And he performs the same miracle that he did 800 years ago to show that he is the God of compassion and mercy. He is the sovereign God and he is the one who holds life and death in his hands. And so for you and me, we need big faith for a big God. And to start out that relationship with God, we've gotta trust in Jesus and what he did by dying on the cross for the forgiveness of all our sins, all the times that we've gone and worshiped idols. And I implore you to do that today if you haven't, but if you already have, I want you to know God is providing for you. God will see you through this stuff. God will make his name known. He will show you compassion and mercy. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. God's got a plan through all of this. Just believe that he's he's in control, okay? And another thing I want you to see is that be okay with making relationships, God might have provided this very church, because that's what the church exists for, is for you and I to come together to make relationships so that we could provide for one another, not just financially, but physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We can be that, that counselor in the tough time. We can be that reminder of God's goodness. So I implore you today, if you've been living in isolation, be a part of the church. Build relationships. It's okay to question God and ask, what are you doing? Just believe that he can do something far above and beyond what you believe is possible. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we come to you in worship, and we are in awe of your, your, just, your power. We believe that you are sovereign that you rule over everything and you're in control of all of this, God. Help us to be the example to the world while everybody's in fear, while everybody's scared, while everybody's fighting amongst one another and not loving one another, God. Let us leave out of here today with your hope and with your truth, trusting, God, we have nothing to worry about. Even in the famine and the drought... You're providing, and you will provide, and you will make a way, and you have already made a way in our wandering in the wilderness of the desert, God, in our own lives. You've made a way for us to be forgiven, made right with you, to have eternal life. As Jesus said, even though we die, we will live forever because Jesus is the resurrection in the life. God, let us hold fast to that truth and show the world... That you're a loving, compassionate God, and that we trust you, God. We need you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.